Welcome to the April 2011 edition of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hi, Sean. Okay, your mute wasn't on. That's good. We're watching those mute buttons today. It's got a little cold, so uh, if I just if there's like dead space, it's because I have the mute button on because I didn't <laughs> want to blow your ears out with a cough. And I think he's talking, you know. So he, if he, if you just keep talking with that mute button on, I'm not sure what we'll what we'll do. Um, well, this month we wanted to uh, sort of connect to last month's podcast. Actually, the last four months, we've been asking the question. Um, is gospel-centered a good thing? And our answer, of course, was yes, if. Uh, yes, if it's truly the gospel that we're centering on. Um, but even then, to center solely on the gospel, or to center solely on Christ, misses something of the whole counsel of God. It misses the big picture. It misses uh, the fact that God is triune. And so what we wanted to do this month is uh, ask the question, how do the ordinary means of grace, uh, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and prayer, how do they relate to God as triune, as, as trinity? Um, last month we asked the question, is the trinity part of your gospel? That is, when you're thinking about the gospel, do you see yourself as redeemed by a Savior who brings you to the Father by the help of the Spirit? Or is it all about Jesus? Uh, we mentioned, yeah, uh, we mentioned one of the ways you can check is um, is look at look at the songs you sing. Are they all just about Jesus? Uh, look at the prayers that you pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we always say in Jesus' name, but is it is it? Am I coming to the Father? Or am I coming to Jesus? I know I have a one of my little daughters uh, often switches back and forth the word. God and the word Jesus. Now Jesus is God, and so we don't we don't um, fix her <laughs> too much when she says. But oftentimes she'll talk about uh, you know God on the cross, or she'll talk about um, you know she'll talk about Jesus instead of the Father. And um, you know it's a simple it's a simple mess up. But as adults, are we making similar um, mm-hmm. similar mistakes? Similar mistakes. Right. Uh, and then there's the Spirit, who is obviously the most mysterious of the three members of the Trinity, and um, we'll get we'll talk a little bit more about the Spirit here in a little bit. Uh, but check you know check the songs you sing, check the prayers you pray, check uh, the way your pastor preaches, um, the way you're thinking about God, the way you approach Him, the way you approach the Scripture. Do you approach the Scripture? Um, Bearing in mind the three persons of the Trinity, you go, what in the world does that mean? Um, again, it's that idea that it's Jesus who brings us to the Father um, by the giving of his Spirit, who within us cries out, Abba, Father. There's a there's a conjunction between the three members of the Trinity. They don't, it's not as if Jesus saves us and the Father and the Spirit are sort of like those two old men in the Muppets. Up in the balcony, <laughs> looking on. Um, that's not Careful, the way it works. Careful, get struck down in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> you know, but oftentimes that's how we treat. Uh, we treat the Father and the Spirit. Sort of, we, we, we call it in our house. We call it chopped liver. You know, okay. we'll, we'll be sitting at dinner, and uh, my my girls will turn to their mother and they'll say, "Mama, this, Mama, that, Mama, Mama, the other thing, Mama, what's this, Mama, what are we eating?" and 
mama will say, will turn to me and she'll go, uh, girls, your father's sitting right here. I mean, sometimes they'll actually say, mama, um, what did Da say about this? <laughs> and you're sitting right there. <laughs> and I'm there. sitting right there. And, 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 um, Jenny will say, what is your father chopped liver? <laughs> and is he and invisible to you? Is he invisible to me? And so I think sometimes we get into this habit. We treat functionally, we treat God and the Spirit, uh, the Father and the Spirit, as, as chopped liver. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that are there. Um, but really, the, the important member of the Trinity is Jesus. And so we're gonna we're gonna focus on Jesus. And that it's really not the case. It's the Father who calls. It's the Son who saves. It's the Spirit who sanctifies. Um, they are all involved in this. In fact, Jesus, throughout his ministry, is constantly referencing the fact that the Father is greater than I, um, that I could do nothing apart from the Father, that the words that I speak are not my own, but they are the Father's, um, reiterating for the Jewish people that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah sent from God, uh, but also emphasizing the the three-person nature of the Trinity. And again, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, we'll look at John 14, which, uh, in, in my opinion, is Jesus explaining the Trinity to us. Now, of course, that brings up a, a big issue. Can we understand the Trinity? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. What's, what, what are your big no. images that you've used? See, I've heard the egg, you know, the, right. the shell... The yolk and the white, three right. parts, one egg. Now, obviously, that doesn't work because you get into a sort of modalism when you start exactly. talking about God as parts. Right. Um, bicycle wheel, the operating in conjunction. Maybe that's a better analogy. Uh, I've heard that one before. You know, spokes, mm-hmm. rim. Um, but none, tire. none of them communicate. None of them are organic. And none no, of them communicate no. in a relationship. That's the that's the difficulty. They help to do the 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 three and one. Um, I I I like. Um, oh, years ago, I I used to listen to Hank Hanegraaff. Um, back when we both lived in California, Sean and um, and um, you know, I I thought it was useful. What he said is that that God is one what and three who's. And so it's not as though Christians who believe in the Trinity have stopped believing Deuteronomy 6 that God is one. He is one what? God, a spirit, infinite, eternal, you know. Um, but he's three who's, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, one thought that jumped into my mind, John, when you're talking about this, particularly with the intersection with the ordinary means, is a, a unique time, at least in my own ministry, to demonstrate our belief in the Trinity is my Lord's uh, my Lord's Supper prayers. Very frequently after we celebrate the Lord's Supper and I pray, I'll address all three persons in my prayer, uh, which uh, generally speaking, our confessional statements at least say that the prayer ought to be directed to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Um, but it's certainly not inappropriate to address any of the three persons, although Reformed people are very hesitant to address the Spirit, um, though we shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, um, in fact, last week I, um, I listened to, I had a cross country drive last week with a friend and I listened to, um, an audio, I listened to Forgotten God by, um, Francis Chan, 
on the Holy Spirit. And uh, very helpful, um, very provo- thought-provoking. I mean, you wouldn't agree with every jot and tittle of what the guy said, but very thought-provoking and very helpful. Um, so anyways, um, it, I think that that's a unique time when we're commemorating the great work of Christ and seeking grace at the feast that he's set before us that we might be invigorated for the work that he's called us to as we leave from worship and go back out into the big bad world um, to address the Father and the Son and the Spirit um, uh, together in the same prayer. There's even a sense in which the ordinary means, the word sacraments and prayer, are reflections of the three members of the Trinity. I wouldn't want to take this too far, but uh, the Scripture tells us that um, that the the spirit that is sent into our hearts is the spirit that causes us to cry, "Abba, Father." Mm. So it seems to me prayer is is connected to the spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. The sacraments are, are so obviously connected to the work of Christ as Savior. Um, you could then argue that the preached word is the word of of the Father come to us by means of the Son. Um, so there is a there is a triune nature, and I, I don't know if that was in the the mind of the Westminster divines when they, um, when they said that the you know the ordinary means are the word sacraments and prayer. I, I don't mm-hmm. know, uh, but it, it there does seem to be that connectedness. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you could also you could take and you could say, well, the the preached word is the word of the Father uh, th- through the Son. Um, made applicable to us by the work of the Spirit, because you have verses like 1 Corinthians 2, the uh, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, uh, only the spiritual spiritual man understands them. So there's a sense we need the Spirit to understand the Word. We need the Spirit to comprehend the sacraments. So I, I, I wouldn't want to any, draw any harsh divisions, but when you have, as you said, Matt, um, one what and three who's, God is not eager to see himself divided. Correct. Definitely. He does want to see himself as relational, though, which is crucial. I don't know if you want to get into that yet. He does. I think we'll get there. Okay. Um, My, again, going to the John 14 that I'm going to keep putting off here uh, until we get into talking more about the the relational aspects that uh, that you want to get onto. Um, I think that John 14 is a great example. If you go just read John 14, you'll see that Jesus addresses all three members of the Trinity there. It's, it's his last words to his disciples uh, before he goes to the cross. And there he's emphatic in, in making sure they understand the relationship between the Son and the Father, between the Father and the Son, and, the, and how the Father and the Son send the Spirit and then the whole last part of the chapter is on the helper, the spirit. And so it seems to me in terms of answering this question, can we understand the Trinity? Um, well, well, no, not perfectly. Um, we would need to be God. We would need to have a mind as big as God's to understand the Trinity. But does that mean we can understand nothing about the Trinity? And of course, the answer is well, no, of course not. There are certain things God has revealed that explain that don't explain the deeper things of the Trinity, but explain what we need to know about the Trinity. And I think that's what John 14 gets at, is it says, mm-hmm. 
there are things about the Trinity you need to know. Here they are. Mm-hmm. If you need more, go to Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Um, Sorry, I'm holding on to those myself. Like we could, as creatures made by the Trinity, comprehend it exhaustively. You know, the clay pot you make looks at you one day and says, hmm, tell me the deep things of your heart. No, and that's the way we're talked about in Scripture. Sometimes we have a little bit too much interest, too much curiosity. That's not particularly helpful. Yes, and that's where Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine comes in. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. And there's a, there's a marvelous promise in that, that as God has revealed himself, I'll relish in it, bathe in it, and delight in it. Um, and delight in it so much you share it with your kids. I mean, you think about it. What are the things you talk about with your kids? You talk about with your kids the things you delight in. Mm. Um, that's good. And so, so if we're delighting in in the Trinity, now how do you delight in the Trinity? And I think that's that's the big question: is how do how do I delight, and what does this look like practically for me? Maybe we need a little bit of theory behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, God has made us, right? Well, and say that again. Just that God has made us. We are made in the image of God. And if God is triune and we are made in the image of God, that means something about that that triunity is reflected in us. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly in the fact that we're relational. Um, you know, I think that there's um, our particular church has been going through um, some material by, by Don Carson called The God Who Is There, which I highly recommend. Uh, the videos are available online for free. The book is available relatively inexpensively, a study guide as well. One of the points that Carson makes in there very, very helpfully in the beginning of that material is to talk about how the the fact that God wasn't needy. He didn't make the world. And, of course, Edwards has a classic, you know, 40,000-word essay on the end for which God created the world. Um, but the the certainly the reason that God created the world was not because he was lonely, not because he needed something. You know, Edwards, roughly Edwards' conclusion is that God created the world because he wanted to share his joy. Um, And so God is uh, self-contained and relational at the same time because there are three persons. Um, And so this is a a talking God, a relating God. He didn't make relational people that, that were different than him but like him. In that sense, we image him because he's a relational God because of the relationships between the members of the Trinity that have always been. Um, And so that's something that's a very fruitful, um, fruitful course of dialogue, fruitful course of meditation is to think about the fact that that God didn't make us because he needed something or because he was lonely. Um, He made us out of his fullness not out of his neediness. Uh, sometimes we avoid relationships rather than embracing them, and we end up feeding, feeling needy instead of full. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. And in that sense, you know, God doesn't do that. He's embraced his relationalness, if you will, and made us to do the same thing in community, in covenant community. Even. Both with one another and with him. Yeah. Which is which is interesting because if he doesn't need relationship with us, right? 
yet he desires relationship with us for his glory and our for joy. For his glory. Yeah, to sh- you said to share to share his joy and that cuz that joy is the joy he has in himself. Yes. Absolutely. The happy God as Piper would call him. Yeah. Yeah. Um But if we are made if we are made in his image that is going to be reflected. We're doing a, uh, a men's study that I'm doing right now, and I'm talking about the, the idea that God is triune and how does this affect us as men. And so I draw a triangle up on the board and I divide the triangle into three parts. And in one of the parts is work. Uh, we have a God who works mm-hmm. and has given man the job of working. Mm-hmm. And so we talked, we spent uh, a number of weeks on uh, on the concept of work and what does it mean to work as God works um, and thereby reflect the image of God. Uh, the second one is is personal uh, uh, personal or self. God is self-contained. Um, he's The theological term for that, strangely, is simple. Uh, yeah. We use, we use not that divided term. divided into parts, yeah. Yeah, we use, he's not divided into parts. Um, we use that term differently. Simple tends to mean stupid, and obviously we don't mean that when we're talking about God. But because God is personal, um, a big part of what it means to be a man is to engage in personal relationship with God. That that my spirit needs to be connected with God, and you know and that's the per- that's the point of personal devotion. That's the point of Adam walking in the garden in the cool of the day with, with uh, theophanic Christ. Um, and then thirdly is relationship. God has made us to be engaged in family and community. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you pull those apart and make them each a member of the Trinity? And I think this is maybe one of the dangers of John Frame. Uh, John's frame, John Frame's triperspectivalism. Um, why I really appreciated, and it was very, very helpful for thinking through uh, many of the concepts in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you can't divide God, right? And I don't think that he wants to be—he wants to be distinguished, but not divided. Maybe that's the way to yeah. phrase it. Yeah. That we are to distinguish between the persons. So it's, you know, for example, even our confessional documents talk about that, you know, it's inappropriate to say that um, the father died, you know, yeah. or that or that uh, the spirit sent the son. That's not that's not, uh, you know, there, there are ways he's revealed himself that help us distinguish between the persons. And so it's appropriate to distinguish in that way. Yeah. Now, the, the fact that God uses the ordinary means. That says something about God as triune. It says something about his character. Hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, and the fact that God chooses uh, not to use a variety of ways to bring people to himself. John fourteen 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and how do we do that? How do we come to the Father? We hear the message preached. Um, we, we, we bow our knee in prayer to the God who has saved us. Uh, we proceed into a life of growth in Christ by means of the sacraments and preaching and prayer. Um, the fact that God doesn't change, 
is reflected in his ordinary means. Mm. And that's something I think we have to be careful of today because we live in a society where variety is not only the spice of life, it's the, um, it's the foundation of life. Yes. Uh, you know, we crave it. We crave we get it. Bored and easily, easily bored. The term contextualization that we've used positively on this podcast, um, because you, everything has a context. Absolutely. It's, it's impossible. Is used now to say, well, people don't get that. Right. People don't understand that. We have to do something totally new, something totally different. You know, George Barna coming out and saying, you know, church, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, preaching doesn't work anymore. Get your videos out. Get your find new ways to connect with this media generation. Um, and I have no reason with no problem at all evangelistically reaching out with a variety of forms, but they're always going to be extensions of the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Lord willing, if God's going to use them, they will be. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If you don't, um, you're gonna. Well, we'll we're going to end up in liberalism again. I mean, right. that's, that's, where, that's where you wind up when you say something other than the means that God has prescribed can get people to heaven. Well, and I think, too, that we're that – I think that by remembering that the ordinary means of grace are not simply what happens within a service in an organized Christian congregation on Sunday morning is important because when Paul went – when Paul was in a pagan city – and he went. Um, he would do things like go to the school of Tyrannus and and teach there. Uh, yeah. He'd go to the Areopagus and he'd teach there. Um, you know, he would do those things that we might call you know open air preaching today. Maybe um, you know he found a culturally appropriate public venue, um, but he also went house to house. He went and met individual pagans and he sat down and he shared the word with them. Um, you know, and that, that I don't think we wouldn't so want to say that that wasn't an ordinary means of grace ministry. Um, we learned ordinary means from Paul, not the, not us redefining what he did. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it wasn't that, um, you know, there was this uh, specific style of music or a specific kind of retreat or a specific uh, way of uh, um, having an experience on Sunday that brought about all those conversions of pagans. It was the word of the gospel on Paul's lips that God used. And the spirit and that, moving in those hearts, and the spirit move, using the gospel to convert hearts. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no, no, nothing magical uh, or complex uh, about it. Actually, fairly simple. It, it's well, we've we've said that. How, how many years have we been saying that? That it's 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 so straightforward. I think the fact that it's straightforward is why we often go off on these different uh, rabbit trails when -hmm. it comes to ministry. Um, It's why people sitting in the pews think that if they haven't had some sort of experience, that they haven't met with God. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Because the ordinary seems so ordinary. And yet God is... Can I say... God is ordinary. God has... He is consistent. God, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, this to come across wrong, but God eats the same thing for breakfast every day. Right. Yeah, it we doesn't don't change, and right. that, and it's good. Yeah. It's, it's good. good. That it doesn't change. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to eat the same thing for breakfast every day. What I'm saying is, 
well, we do if, if our diet is God. If we're not eating that bread, you know, Jesus said, said to the devil, I have, uh, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, so in that sense, I am eating the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Uh, Lord willing, but, yeah. Lord, Lord willing, but there's there's that there's a consistency, and we've lost that. This the whole issue of um, the fact that you can go to two different churches, you know, within a mile of each other, and the services look completely different. Um, you know, I long, yeah. See, I don't want to say every church has to look identical. No. But, then it wouldn't be contextualized. No, but I but it does need to have certain similarities where I go to this church over here and this church over here, and I go, and and if they're both gospel centered churches, mm-hmm. if they're both churches that believe in the Trinity mm-hmm. and the Word of God, there are going to be very obvious similarities between those two churches, specifically within the same cultures too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Within yeah. I'm talking within my context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to question the the churches that are not doing that. Um, I was struck just recently reading John six, which John six is where uh, Jesus tries to offend everybody he possibly can. Um, John six is the bread of life chapter, where he begins by feeding bread to the the five thousand on the hillside. Right, and then he starts saying freaky stuff that and chases then, everybody away. Yeah, he starts getting into cannibalism. Eat my eat my body, drink my blood, <laughs> and you know, and you're going, wait, wait, Jesus is Dracula. I don't get it. But that's why is he doing that? He's doing that because many of the people listening to him think this is all well and good, but they don't they don't like the idea of their need. They think they just need to be religious. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so what he's doing with the whole eat my body, drink my blood, is he's pulling them out of their comfort zone and he's asking them to take him fully and they're not willing to take him fully. But rely on him only. Rely yeah. on him only. Yeah, and yeah. so it ends with, um, later in John 6, uh, I want to say verse 66, is where he says, uh, where it says, and many left him and were no longer walking with him. Right, right. Um, why and why I was I was speaking to a crowd of kids. Just I did a chapel service just recently, and um, a crowd of kids, and many of them go to a mega church in our mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, "Wouldn't it just be crazy if one day you showed up to church and there were only eleven people there?" Um, because that's what, you know, Jesus says, he says, uh, he says, are you guys going anywhere? And Peter says, no, of course not. Lord, where do we have to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Words of life. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus says, and Jesus says, good job, Peter. You got it right. Trust, trust in your knowledge of me. No, that's not what he says. He says, (laughs) he says, Peter, I'm the one who chose you. And yet one of you is a devil. You ever wonder why it is every time Peter answers Jesus question, the devil comes up. Um, but he, he says, you know, trust in, he's saying trust in me. And I wonder sometimes, are the megachurches, 
uh, and this is this is a very recent issue because of the whole Rob Bell thing. Yeah. Um, Rob Bell passed from you know big church, but apparently they don't talk much about hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, what? What would happen there? What would happen if some of these mega church pastors that have such great business models and and they have amazing um, systems that they have devised to train people in leadership, to establish people in small groups. I mean, the, the small churches could learn from some of this. There mm-hmm. are things that they could learn from, from the big churches. But the big churches could learn from the small church because in the small church, you get more of the pastors who aren't afraid to preach on anything and everything because they know, you know, these people aren't going anywhere. It's a small church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, what would happen if some of these megachurch pastors preached a six-week series on hell and the right. fact you're, you're going there if you don't repent and believe? As right. Some of them do. I Don't get me wrong. I, don't, I think some of them are preaching hell. But as, as an example, are we questioning these groups that are attracting so many, many people? We all know how Joel Osteen gets the number of people he gets. Mm-hmm. Because he's preaching positive selfism, right? Um, Whereas preaching hell or preaching the Trinity, for example, is not quite exactly that same self-centered star power kind of preaching. Yeah. Now, interestingly, you mentioned Jonathan Edwards earlier, uh, who is best known for his "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." It's a sermon on hell. Um, he's been stereotyped because of it, and yet. He was getting those numbers preaching on hell mm-hmm. because he was preaching to a people in a new world who felt lonely. They, they in, in many senses, saw their need because of the ravages of the wild all around them. And he was able to come into that context and they understood hell because they understood what it meant People were dying around them every day. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that makes preaching the gospel in America so hard is people aren't dying around us every day. Right, right. You know, it's Sean, I've been musing here as we've been talking about the Trinity and its relationship to the ordinary means. It's, it strikes me that we actually subvert the very carefully orchestrated plan of redemption that the Trinity uh, designed, implemented, and is applying when we don't use the ordinary means, when we don't rely on the ordinary means. We've talked here before in the podcast about the fact that to simply rely, not on sophistication of, of uh, presentation or, you know, think of uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, not on that the person presenting is, you know, the big man on campus or, you know, we've both worked under a model like that before. Um, in a parachurch ministry, you know that 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 the the star power, the expectation uh, with the Trinitarian God, um, is is in very simple things. That when we preach, uh, when we proclaim house to house, when we preach the gospel from pulpits on Sundays, we're saying, Father, we submit to something foolish that you've ordained. Jesus, we submit to a foolish work that you did, a work that's foolish in the eyes of the world. We submit to preaching the foolish message about you, a crucified and risen. And Holy Spirit, we are so utterly dependent upon you 
that we know we know we're we're purposefully doing something foolish. This is not calculated to win. No fool would answer this. But we trust you. We trust that you want to use this foolish message to convert people. And so to me that's a very potent intersection between the Trinity and the ordinary means. Is this really about our trust? Our trust that God wants to execute his plans for redeeming lost people. Um through the plan that the Trinity, uh, you know, developed, designed, implemented, and is applying. And whether we want to be tools of the Trinity or sort of, well, tools of man. The fact that the means are ordinary mm-hmm. pushes us to trust him simply because um, we want something extraordinary. You know, the, the Pharisees wanted miracles. They wanted a sign. If you're really the Messiah, show us a sign, they said. And Jesus to those Pharisees says, said, sorry, you don't get a sign. Mm. And in fact, you had Moses. You, you had, had Moses. You know, yeah, yeah. In fact, here's your sign. You had John the Baptist. So was John's baptism, was it, was it from God or was it from man? <laughs> Eh, no. We'll get back to you on that one, Jesus. Jury's still out. Um, <laughs> I had a great time with but, my kids but, in the car the other day about that. <laughs> but you one think of my about kids that. Was, listen, was reading something or listening to something or whatever, and they're like, so, Dad, tell us this thing about John the Baptist and Jesus. And so you're trying to explain to a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old, you know, <laughs> that, that complex interaction. Anyways, it was fascinating. So sometimes the um, well, Je- uh, Paul Miller in his book Praying Life, mm-hmm. uh, he argues that the re- one of the reasons Jesus picked the disciples he did is because of the childlikeness of their faith. That's fascinating. And um, they they just that's really fascinating. Yeah. Oh, it is. That it really. In fact, you can go watch go watch his video that he did for the recent. Um, Piper's recent pastors conference on prayer. Um, that gives it gives a great summary of um, uh, Paul Miller is actually uh, preaches one of those, and he um, does a great summary of his book and that that argument that Jesus picked these childlike disciples. And um, but see that was the thing they were willing to go for him miracle or not the pharisees weren't right and see are we willing to go for his ordinary means experience or not or are we like the pharisees demanding something more hmm. are we willing are we willing to see a calling to Disciple our kids. Are we willing to see a calling to regularly put myself under the authority of the Word of God? Mm. Prayer. Prayer is a great example. Why don't we pray? Because we're so busy with experiences and mm. pleasures. Mm. The, the idea of sitting instead by of, myself, cons- yeah. doing nothing, but talking to a God I can't see. Is is not Disneyland, right? Right. It's um, the inverse. The inverse of that. Yeah. At least there, you get to meet Mickey. 
<laughs> well, and I think too that it, it it's only in prayer. It's only in, in serious, serious, meditative, scriptureful prayer that you really begin to dig in a little bit um, to the Trinity. I don't know if we can recommend this book because neither of us have read it, but I have over here. I'm hoping to read it next week on a study leave. Um, Tim Chester's book, Delighting in the Trinity. I'll, I'll try and report back as to whether we whether we'll recommend it or not. But I think that there's something lacking in us because there's so much wonder and mystery about the Trinity that's unfolded for us in the salvation that we've gotten uh, in Christ, which is summarized in the gospel. So the reason, remember how we got started on this, you know, how does the Trinity intersect the ordinary means? And it's because our gospel that we're uh, proclaiming through the ordinary means that we're laying hold of by prayer, that we're seeing in the sacraments, that we're hearing through the preached word, through the proclaimed word, whether person to person or from a pulpit, uh, even as we, as it's, as we read it ourselves personally, devotionally, that that's a proclamation to us. Um, does it, does our use of the, does the Trinity lead us to use the ordinary means and does the ordinary means take us back to the Trinity? Do we have that feedback loop going on where there's actually, even if the book's lousy, which I doubt it is because I, I like Tim Chester, um, but do, do we find ourselves delighting in the Trinity in, in the wonder of a, a tri-personal God who's the creator of everything Who's eternally happy and needs nothing, and who didn't have to share his joy but chose to, and chose was so committed to our joy, created the world knowing that he'd have to sacrifice himself for us. That the Father would, Romans 8 tells us, he did not spare his own son. Abraham, his son was spared. God didn't spare his son. A son whom our confession says, most willingly, those, those are potent words, most willingly became our mediator. And a spirit who is so patient, who puts up with hard heads like us. Do we have any wonder, any delight in this kind of God who gives himself to us through the ordinary means? That, that's the neighborhood of what we're trying to get you to think about. I think John 14 gets at that. We mentioned that John yeah, 14 at the beginning. Right. I, I'm looking right now, I'm looking at John 14, 7, right after John 14, 6, the very next verse. Uh, we all know John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Now, what's Jesus saying in this, in this strange sentence? Um, he's talking about himself being the way to the Father, and that the way we know the Father is because the Father has revealed himself in the Son. There's a, there's a connection right there. Mm -hmm. But then when he says, from now on you have known, you will know him, he's, he's looking forward to what he's about to say, in John 14, that I'm, I must go because then I can send the Helper. And it's the Helper, the Spirit, who enables us to know God. And the fact that the, um, that the writers of the New Testament pick up on the Hebrew sense of that word know, mm -hmm. 
that it's 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 the idea of intimacy. Personal knowledge. Intimacy. You know, best examples: King James Version says Adam knew Eve, and they had a son. Yeah. And named him Cain. And um, and you go, oh, you know, so they shook hands. <laughs> Adam said, "Hi, my name's Adam." She said, "I'm Eve." Oh, look, I'm pregnant. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, it doesn't work like that. There's a, there was an intimacy Mm -hmm. and there is an intimacy within the Trinity. And now by, by God coming, and this is, this is marvelous. John 14, um, hold on here. I'm looking for it. Um, Oh, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. What's the sense of it? Uh, the idea that it's it's right here because he uses the word abide numerous times here in John 14. I'm, I've got a different Bible in front of me than I was reading earlier, and so I'm trying to find the verse. Um, abide. Okay, here it is. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to uh, Judas, "This is not Judas Iscariot." Uh, he asks him. He he says to Jesus, "Why is it that you're gonna?" Show yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, there's the Trinity. This is why I'm arguing. I really believe John 14 is Jesus telling us everything we need to know about the Trinity. Hmm. Jesus says, And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Hmm. You know what that is? That's revelation. The dwelling place of God is with man. Mm, it's beautiful. I, and, and all through John 14, Jesus has been saying, you know, I'm going to send my spirit. The Father will send his spirit in my name. And now he comes, he gets to this place in verse 23 where he says, he says, we will come to the one who loves us and make our abode in him, that the Spirit living in us is not just one person of the Trinity living in us. It is God living in us. Mm. Mm. And that is huge. That That's huge. Although the Spirit's designated, you can't separate the Spirit from the Father or, and the Son. That's yeah. Interesting. yeah you, and, he, and Jesus even says that it's it's the it's the Spirit of Christ. You know, so that's it. It's an odd thing. <laughs> it's a glorious thing, but it's an odd thing. It's a glorious thing, but it's a... Um, it's, it just, it seems to me that this is, Jesus is revealing to the disciples what they need to know, and thus what we need to know about the Trinity. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's, that's all we can know. Um, you know, we often draw those two circles, the really big circle, and then the really, really tiny little circle. And we say, we name the big circle, we name it creator, and the little tiny circle, we name creation, and we point out that they're separate. We point out that the one is so much bigger, the creator is so much bigger than the creation. Um, could we ever fit the mind of God into our minds? We can't. But... It's too small. It's too small. But, there's a, and there's a glorious but to this. And the but is, but he's given us his ordinary means. Mm. And mm. through these means, we come to know the Trinity. Mm. Wonderful. Um, are we relying that when you when you go into church this Sunday, are you saying, Father, how are you drawing me to you 
today. Son, how are you asking me to trust you? Spirit, hmm. how are you working the words of the songs and the, the, the text of the scripture and the, the words of the preacher so that I might hear them as I need to hear them? And I might grow, and this is the beautiful thing, what are we being restored to? We're being restored in the image of God. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're being made to look like the Trinity. And what better way to do that than to have the Trinity living in us? Absolutely. Crazy good stuff. It's good stuff. So think on, I encourage you to think on these things. We, we mentioned a number of uh, books and resources. We'll put those up on the blog post um, when we post uh, this podcast. Uh, but we thank you for listening, and we hope that this has been encouragement to you and has challenged your thinking and, and pressed you on to uh, think uh, more fully about who this God is uh, who has called you, saved you, and right now is sanctifying you um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, so may the Lord bless you as you richly, richly bless you as you pursue him uh, through his ordinary means. Mm-hmm.